Well, good morning, church. It is great to be with you. Uh, glad to be back. I was gone last weekend traveling for fall break with my family, uh, but I think I got to be here via video, assuming that all worked out, so glad to be back with you live and in person. I do want you to know, I, I hope you are, as I am, still celebrating uh, what God did among us as part of the last series. I, even this morning, talked to another person who found some freedom because uh, one of the messages spoke to them and they got some help and they're on a trajectory toward wholeness again. I, got, I, I was off emailed last week but looked at a few of them this morning when I fired back up my computer to get going this morning and uh, had somebody email me. They said that they, like I, traveled last weekend so they missed the message. Uh, but they watched the message on YouTube and we talked last week about how God can provide healing for those struggling with mental illness. And um, they watched the message on YouTube, they said, on Thursday and Friday for the first time in their entire life. They told their family about their struggles with depression and they're getting help and all this stuff. And so, I just, boy, if you miss some of these messages, maybe you want to go back and listen to them. Maybe you need to watch them as a family or something. Maybe there's a conversation that you need to have. Uh, but I just continue to praise God. Uh, we've had now uh, 60 people. Um, both a part of this church and not part of this church, take a first step uh, toward getting free from pornography because of the message we preached like four weeks ago. That's amazing. So be rejoicing uh, when God's Spirit works among us. We want to recognize that and celebrate uh, that. Um, and that's really what we're talking about in this series, about how we can invite God's Spirit to work among us, how we can invite God's Spirit to do a work of spiritual maturity, spiritual health for us. I was, um, I had a moment of reckoning regarding my physical health while we were over fall break. Uh, we spent most of our fall break down in Knoxville. Uh, some of you may know, just on the south side of Knoxville, there's this amazing um, mountain bike park. It's got about 50 miles of mountain bike trails kind of all inside this one 12-mile loop, and my boys are into mountain biking, and so we had been wanting for a while to go do some vacationing down there and just do some riding. Uh, we didn't do quite as much riding as we'd like. We did a little bit of riding, and uh, one of the days, Evan and I went out, and we were going to do the loop of the park. It's this 12-mile uh, trail ride, uh, interrupted pretty regularly with road crossings, so it's easy access, but it was, it was a good ride, and it was a great trail. We were having a blast, uh, but about three or four miles in, I noticed something. I noticed that the young boy that used to lag behind me when we went riding, and I would have to check my speed and check how aggressively I was riding so that he could keep up, he was now in front of me as we were riding. I noticed that whereas I used to have to regularly ask questions like, am I going too fast? Is this pace okay? Do I need to slow down for you? Now he was asking me, Dad, is this pace okay? Should I slow down a little bit? Whereas I used to have to, at the top of every hill, wait on my bike as he pushed his bike up the hill. Now he, at the top of every hill, was waiting on his bike as I pushed my bike up the hill. We got about, about six and a half miles through this eight-mile loop, and 
I said to him, I said, listen, I think this leg has got to be my last leg. When we hit the next road crossing, we're going to call your mom, and she's going to come pick us up. Uh, this is all I got. This is all I got. We made it halfway. We'll do the other half tomorrow, but I, I, I'm done. I'm done. And so we hit the road crossing, and uh, he says to me, he says, how you, you feel how you're feeling, Dad? How you feel how you're feeling? And I, of course, you know, I lie and say, feeling fine, fine. What do you think? You got one more in? This next little section looks good. How about one more section? We'll call her after the next section. And I say, sure, sure, yeah, let's, let's do it. Absolutely. You go. You, you head on out there. Let's do this thing. And, and we start biking out. And um, th- this, this one little section, there was probably like a half mile of road, maybe not even half mile, 500 yards of road connecting the one section to the next, because the trail's kind of in town, really. And uh, so we're biking up this little section of road. And all of a sudden, he looks back, and I'm off my bike, walking my bike. And uh, he says to me generously, he says, Dad, it's okay. We, we can stop and call Mom. I was like, yeah, I, I think we need. I think we need to do that. <laughs> if I can't even bike on the road now, we need to call. We need to call your mom. So... This, uh, this encounter, which was a blast, we had a great time, it was a great vacation, but this moment as we were sitting there on the grass, in fact, I was, actually, I was lying on the grass, practically passed out, and he was biking around the parking lot, still full of energy, waiting for Betsy to come pick us up. As we were sitting there, I had two really clear realizations. Uh, one is that I have let myself get terribly out of shape. So that was just really, really obvious. And the other is, is that I had lost track of how big my son was, how much he'd grown up, how strong he was. He's the one who's on the mountain biking team and biking every day. He's getting faster and stronger and healthier every day. And I just lost track. I, I, I don't know. I, I suppose if you'd said to me on this, on any given day, could you still bike faster than your son? I, I, up until that moment, I might have thought the answer was yes. The answer is clearly no, I can't, not even for a mile or two. And, and, and those two realizations, that we can get out of shape and that we need to grow up, that's what this series is about. Uh, for some of us, this series is, is about a recognition that we have gotten out of shape spiritually, that our spiritual health has wavered, that where we once had spiritual strength, where we once had spiritual health, where we once had spiritual maturity, we've allowed ourselves, like I have allowed my body, to atrophy. And we can't pedal as fast as we used to and go as hard as we once did. We've spiritually weakened. For some of us, this is a message about getting back into shape. Uh, For some of us, though, it's a message about growing up. It's a message of maturity. It's It's a message about taking a new step, a next step, perhaps even a first step in the disciplines that lead to spiritual maturity. Uh, With physical health, I think most of us have some vague sense of what physical health looks like, right? You know, I mean, I, I know there can be things underneath the surface that are hard to see. I'm not talking about that kind of thing. I just mean generally... We know what physical health, for our own lives, we can tell when we're feeling strong and vital. 
When our weight is balanced, when our mind is clear, when our bones are healthy, when our muscles are strong, when we go to bed tired and wake up rested, we, we know that feeling of physical health. Sometimes we know it mainly in its absence and we long for that and we, we've got stuff going on in our lives that makes that kind of physical health feel distant. Sometimes we know it in its presence and we just feel like we're feeling good and we're feeling strong. We know what it's like to have physical health. We know what it's like to be missing physical health. I think with spiritual health, what's interesting is the signs of spiritual health are just as clear as the signs of physical health. You know when you're healthy physically. You know when you're sick. Spiritually, the signs are just as clear. You just might not know them, and so you don't know what to look for. Paul describes them, though, in Galatians. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep step with the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, Paul says, is love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Just like the fruit of physical health is strength and vitality and a clear mind, the fruit of spiritual health is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, generosity, gentleness, self-control. And sometimes, sometimes we have a moment like I did on the bike trail as I'm pushing my bike up the hill and my son is wondering how long he's going to wait for me. Sometimes you have a moment where you recognize that you've gotten just a little out of shape. Spiritually, don't you? Sometimes you have a moment. Maybe, maybe you could have one of those right now. Listen to that list again. The fruit of physical health is clear to all of us. We know what it feels like to be healthy. The fruit of spiritual health is just that clear. And Paul says it's this. It's love. Do you have an abundance of love in your life right now? It's joy. Do you have an abundance of joy in your life, even in difficult circumstances? It's peace. Do you have an abiding peace, even in a troubled world? It's patience. Are you ready to wait? For that that you desire, it's kindness. Are you kind even when people are unkind to you? It's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, it's self-control. And Paul says that when we are living a life in the Spirit of God, this is the fruit that our life will bear. And all of us, you see, are in danger of becoming a fruitless tree. I remember ages ago, I was a teenager, maybe in my early 20s, I heard a sermon about those beautiful cherry trees up 
in Washington, D.C. Have you ever been to see the cherry blossoms bloom in Washington, D.C.? It's gorgeous, and it really is wonderful. The only problem is that there aren't any cherries on those trees. They, they just sort of look like cherry trees, and they're pretty like cherry trees, but you can't make a pie out of it. You see what I'm saying? I remember in this sermon, they just asked the question, and it haunted me for months and months. If we were satisfied looking like a cherry tree, if we were satisfied looking like we had spiritual fruit, but not actually bearing the spiritual fruit of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And that's what this series is about. It turns out, in East Tennessee, in 2018, it's not too hard to look like a Christian. It's not even all that hard to be a Christian. But to actually bear the fruit, that's what we want, isn't it? Don't we want to actually bear the fruit of a spiritual life? Don't we want to grow into spiritual maturity? Don't we want to get back into spiritual shape? Don't we want to be healthy and strong spiritually? Don't I want to be able to ride the bike faster than my son once again, at least just one more time? You know, that probably won't happen. But you can't have this fruit of the spiritual life. I know some of you, you may be thinking it sounds impossible. Uh, maybe, maybe physical health feels impossible. I know it does to many of us. Losing weight, exercise, eating right, that feels impossible. And maybe spiritual health, growing in the fruit of the Spirit, growing in spiritual discipline, that feels impossible. But I figure if we're ever going to start a sermon series on what feels like impossible, it ought to be on the same weekend the Vols actually win an SEC game. I mean, right? I mean, that happened. That happened, I, you know, I wasn't even sure if we were going to go through with this sermon series. I know, praise God, see, miracles still happen. So if you were in here today thinking, today isn't the day I could pursue spiritual health, then maybe today is the day. The Vols won an SEC game. I don't know, I don't know, maybe today's the day. So what we're going to talk about in this series is how do we do it? How do we pursue spiritual health? We know that just sitting around waiting for God to give us more joy, that isn't working for us. How do we pursue it? How do we in our lives chase spiritual health? You go to the doctor and you say you want to get healthy, they're going to tell you the same old thing. Get more exercise, eat better, get enough sleep. Every once in a while there will be some special thing they got to do, medicine or whatnot, but usually it's just that normal stuff, right? And with spiritual health, it's the same thing. Every once in a while, there's some special diagnosis, but most of the time, it's not. Most of the time, the diagnosis for how to pursue spiritual health is just basic stuff. And that's what this series is about. It's about basic stuff, the basic practices that lead to spiritual health. As our team was working on this series and on these messages, there were kind of two scriptural sources that really motivated us to consider what disciplines we wanted to talk about and the disciplines that we need to be spiritually healthy people. Uh, the first uh, it's kind of scriptural source that we just kept coming back to 
uh, was the challenge that the Apostle Paul gave to his protege, Timothy. He writes this, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. I love that Paul, it's not enough for him to say it. He's going to say, by the way, that thing I just said, you should pay attention to that. Train yourself to be godly, for godliness has value in all things. Physical training only has value in some things. Verse 10, this is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. I want to say one thing about this verse. I love this verse because it, it makes clear the order of operations. Remember, we're going to talk about what we need to do to grow spiritually. But remember, everything we do to grow spiritually begins in what God has done to save us from our sins, okay? Don't get confused and think you are going to accomplish your own salvation or you are going to accomplish your own worthiness. No, it says this is why we labor and strive. We work hard, we labor and strive because we have already put our hope in the living God who has rescued all people, especially those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote, yourselves to the public, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through the prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. His progress in what? Not physical training, although I'm sure Paul wanted him to eat right and get plenty of sleep too. His progress in his spiritual training. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This was the first kind of scriptural anchor of this series. Paul's instruction to Timothy that he needed to train himself in godliness. In the same way that he might train physically to get back into shape and lose a little weight, eat a little better, and prepare for a marathon. Paul says, train yourself for godliness. The second big example for us was the example of Jesus uh, we'll look more at this next week, but one of the fascinating things when you look at the story of the life of Christ is how often Jesus was returning to the same basic spiritual disciplines. All the time, the Bible talks about how Jesus gets up early in the morning to go and pray, or late at night to go and pray. There's every indication uh, that Jesus was a regular committed participant in the Jewish habit of prayer at several times throughout the day that we sometimes now called praying the hours in Christian tradition, but it was an old Jewish tradition of praying at different times of the day. Jesus seems to have followed that tradition. Uh, the scripture talks regularly about how Jesus sought spiritual solitude, a vitally important Christian discipline that so many of us ignore. 
The Christian talks, the Bible talks about how Jesus fasted as a spiritual discipline to devote himself more deeply to God. And the Bible talks about how Jesus studied Scripture and used Scripture as a spiritual discipline. You look even at the life of Jesus then, and what you see is a person who had a disciplined commitment to spiritual health, never forsaking these basic disciplines. In the same that you, you meet a healthy person today, you're going to discover they probably get plenty of exercise, and they probably get plenty of sleep, and they probably eat right, doggone it. You know, it drives you crazy. You know, what's your secret? Well, you know, nothing much. And Jesus doesn't just model this way of living. He actually invites us to share it. Matthew 11, I love this invitation from Jesus. He says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. I love this image. We've talked about it together before, but I'm happy to explain it again. I just love it. This is an image taken from the ancient world of agriculture when they wanted to teach a new pack animal how to pull a plow. They would yoke it together with an older, more experienced animal so that when the young animal would walk too fast, it would get pulled back by the older animal. When it would go too slow, it would get pulled forward by the trained animal until eventually it learned how to keep a strong, steady pace so that it could finish the day's work. And this is Jesus' invitation. He's saying, I don't just want to save your soul. I don't just want to take you to heaven. I want to teach you how to live like me. Take my yoke upon you. Walk with me, for I am gentle and humble. And if you walk in my rhythms, if you learn the disciplines by which I live, you will find rest for your souls. So in this series, we're just going just gonna to real briefly just say, okay, what are some basic practices we could learn that would teach us to walk in the risens of Jesus, that would teach us to pursue spiritual maturity because we want spiritual fruit, so we're going to have to practice spiritual discipline. Now before we jump into this, um, really today, uh, all I want to do is offer two warnings. Two warnings that have to undergird any approach we might take to really begin disciplines of pursuing Christ. The first warning is this. Sometimes we get confused and we think that because there are spiritual disciplines, that somehow we are the ones that cause spiritual growth. I see this happen to people. I, people get in their heads that they can, on their own power and on their own strength, grow spiritually. And so they throw themselves into some Bible reading plan or they throw themselves into some work of spiritual discipline 
mustering up this great force of will and effort as if they were going to grow themselves and mature themselves. It's very tempting to think this way. It's very tempting to think that we could, by our own power, take charge of our own spiritual life. But here's the thing. If you take charge of your own spiritual life, then it's not a spiritual life. It's a you life. If it's a spiritual life, then the spirit is in charge of it. Uh, Thinking this way, we're going to play a little bit around with some boat metaphors here. Uh, The person who thinks this way about spiritual growth is the person who has to cross a great body of water and for their boat they choose a rowboat. Their arms are strong, their commitment is high, and so they get in the boat and they start to row for there is a great work to be done and that work will be done by their own strength. And the problem with rowboats, if you've never been in one, you've lived a charmed life. Rowboats are awful. They are exhausting. And if you don't have your rhythm exactly right, you'll have one arm just slightly stronger than the other, and you will slowly go in a circle. And of course, to row a rowboat, you're looking backwards, so you can't even see where you're going. And every once in a while, you look up and you turn around, and you're nowhere near where you wanted to be. Rowboats are awful, but this is what we do. When we decide that under our own strength we're going to accomplish our own spiritual growth and we're just going to get in there and row and row and row and row and pretty soon we're spinning in circles and we didn't even notice. The truth is this. The power for spiritual transformation comes from God. The myth is that we can accomplish our own spiritual growth by our own effort. But the truth is that the power for spiritual transformation comes from God. In my uh, uh, junior and senior high guys small group, we just finished studying Ephesians. And I bust a quote of Ephesians, these two verses from Ephesians a thousand times. I love them so much. Ephesians 1, 18 and 20. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know, and Paul lists three things he wants them to know, but the third one is this. His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. As I made my students repeat a hundred times, what is the power that is at work within us? And they would answer, resurrection power. This is what Paul wants you to know. The power of God that is in you is not some measly, mediocre power. It's the very same power God used to raise Jesus from the dead. And so if you want to be spiritually transformed, spiritually matured, so that spiritual fruit might grow in your life, don't do it by the strength of your own meager arms. When the power you have access to is resurrection power. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
Don't let anybody ever tell you, not any Christian ever tell you, that they're a self-made man or a self-made woman. That's the opposite of what the gospel says. You are a God-made man or a God-made woman or else you are no man or woman at all. That is the power by which we are spiritually transformed. The first error we make is to think that spiritual transformation is a rowboat and we get there on our own strength. There is another error, though. Error, though. This error is to think that spiritual transformation is a cruise ship. And all we're supposed to do is just get on the boat and sit there and watch people bring us Mai Tais. I don't even know what a Mai Tai is, but that's what they drink on a boat, I think, right? And we're supposed to lie there and do our thing. This lie, and many of us believe this lie. In fact, I think it's as common. Many of us believe it's all about us, and many of us believe we don't have anything to do. This lie is the lie that says we have no role in our spiritual growth. We have no part to play in our spiritual maturity. That all we're supposed to do is just sit there and God's going to do what God's going to do and nothing we can do can change or direct the path of our spiritual maturity. But God's Word confronts this as well. God's Word is clear that the disciplines of the spiritual life are an essential and active invitation to give God's Spirit room to work in your life. Paul says, train yourself to be godly. He doesn't say, sit around and wait, and eventually maybe God will just make you godly. No, he says, train yourself to be godly. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. It turns out, that most of the things we desire in life require discipline to accomplish them. Spiritual maturity is a paradox. The kind of spiritual fruitfulness we are talking about is one of the deepest and most beautiful Christian paradoxes. God does all the work. And all of us have work we must do. Christian maturity, spiritual maturity, spiritual fruitfulness rests on these two truths. God does all the work. And we have work we must do. To finish with our boats, it's not a cruise ship where we sit there and hope God eventually takes us someplace more mature. It's not a rowboat where all under our effort we paddle in circles. It's a sailboat. The quote long attributed to Augustine, although I confess after some searching I could find no actual source that proves he said it, but this quote is this, God brings the wind, but we must raise the sails. In a sailboat, you see, you don't go anywhere unless the wind blows. If a calm comes upon you, the boat just sits there. On the other hand, if the wind is blowing, the invitation to the sailor is to partner with the wind, to cooperate with the wind, to embrace the wind with as much as possible to raise the sails so that every little breath, whisper of wind is caught and propels the boat where the wind seeks to take it. This 
is the invitation of spiritual discipline. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about how God will, if you'll let God do it, God will change your life through the reading of God's Word. Just, Just wreck your world through the reading of God's Word. Uh, and I'll, I'm, I'm going to say this next week, but I'll say it now. I don't know how you ever, I don't, I, don't th- I don't think spiritual maturity is possible apart from the study of Scripture. I just don't think it can happen. But let's be clear. Studying Scripture doesn't make you spiritually mature. Okay? Lots of people study Scripture and don't become spiritually mature, spiritually mature. In fact, lots of people study Scripture and, in fact, move away from God. What makes you spiritually mature is the work of God's Spirit through the study of Scripture. And this is the the delicate interplay of spiritual disciplines. We, in our fasting, raise the sail and ask the wind of God to blow. We, in our Scripture study, raise the sails and ask the wind of God to blow. We, in our prayer, raise the sails and ask the wind of God to blow. And so here's my big question for you as we launch into this series. And this week, I want you to do some wrestling with God because I really think you need some clarity. You need some honesty about the answer to this question. My first question is this, are you growing spiritually right now? Or are you just kind of sitting there? Are you growing spiritually or are you just kind of counting on the spiritual growth from your last season of life? Are you more loving of your enemy this year than last? Are you more joyful in hardship this year than last? Are you more gentle in struggle this year than last? Are you more patient in suffering this year than last? Are you more self-controlled against temptation this year than last? I just want you to be honest with God. It doesn't matter what you tell me or what you tell your neighbors or what you tell your Sunday school class. The question is what you tell God. Because God knows whether you're on a trajectory of spiritual maturity or on a trajectory of spiritual sloth. Are you getting stronger spiritually, more and more fruitful, or are you getting weaker spiritually? Oh, you still look like a cherry tree. Plenty of blossoms, but nobody can make a pie because there aren't any cherries. There's no fruit. Are you yet who God wants you to be? And if you are willing to admit that there is spiritual fruit yet to be produced in your life, if you're willing to admit that there is a work of spiritual maturity yet to happen in your life, the next question is this. Are you in a rowboat? Trying to accomplish it through ever more elaborate and exhausted effort? Are you there under the strength of your own arms trying to, you know, just be a little more pure and a little more holy and a little more honest and a little more hardworking, hoping you can please somebody or measure up to some standard? Or are you ready to go sailing? Are you ready to trust 
the ever-reliable wind of God's Spirit? Are you ready to believe that God gives disciplines not so that we can be transformed, but so that we can be opened up to the transformation of God's Spirit? We're going to get real specific as we finish out this series and talk about some specific disciplines, some ways you might invite God to transform your life. But right now, I just want you to reflect on this question before God. Are you ready to tell God that you want to change? Are you ready to tell God that you want to grow and experience the fruit of spiritual transformation? Are you ready to take up training for godliness as Paul challenges us? So that you can, as a result of that training, catch the wind of God's Spirit and be brought to a place of greater maturity and greater fruitfulness. Are you ready to set sail? Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, it is so easy to get stuck where we are. It is so easy to become self-satisfied with our current fruitfulness, comfortable with our current maturity, stuck in our current habits. But we believe, God, that there is a greater work of fruitfulness you have for us. There is a greater opportunity for growth that lies before us. And we trust that you want to unleash in our lives new habits of faithfulness that will lead to new experiences of fruitfulness. This is our belief and our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, I invite you to stand. God's call to us is to open ourselves